What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very special guest, someone who's uh, we've worked with for a really long time, one of my very favorite people. And it's always been interesting to me due to his position. He's like one of the mellowest, easiest going people, but he can hold the toughest line with people like you wouldn't believe. And I think that's what makes him so great at his job. So welcome to the show, Dylan Harris. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Yeah. Glad to finally get you on. This is not always uh, people's... I wouldn't say it's not their favorite topic, but when they think of rehab, they don't, it's not synonymous with, uh, you know, just learning strict discipline. Like, I don't know why it wouldn't be, but other programs are a little (laughs) soft, but for us, discipline is, is a pretty standard thing. And it's not the case in a lot of other places. Other places are extremely permissive. Then there's one gradient, you screw up, you're out there. And there's nothing like really in between. So. Right, right. You know, discipline is important here. you know, most people that come into this program, you know, they, they, their lives are chaotic. Uh, they're struggling, they're suffering and their life is, is, you know, in disarray. So discipline helps, uh, you know, kind of smooth things out and helps them make better choices and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think a good place to start too is so, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dylan, but you're the human resource is director right so you you're in yeah. charge of the staff as yeah. far as you know hr and all that stuff goes but you also work with the clients too so unlike maybe at the watsonville facility billy's kind of just strictly hr i know dylan spends a lot of the time with the clients too in the conduct section and accountability and rules so that's is that all correct dylan that is all correct uh i, I take a hands-on approach uh, I work with uh, some of the toughest clients, you know, the people that are really struggling, um, you know, and, and basically uh, what I'm trying to teach people is discipline, right? I'm, I'm trying to get them to a point where they can follow rules, uh, they can follow codes of behavior, and, uh, you know, we use consequences to kind of help them achieve that. There we go. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about that, Dylan, and kind of your experience with that i mean i know i have my own experience with that as a client <laughs> from at elevate sides. from both sides yeah absolutely <laughs> and you know i think it is effective but i definitely want to kind of hear your experience with maybe what that looks like as far as like rules or like situations where where clients need discipline especially in treatment you know i think of treatment and it's like okay come in and get sober but there's this whole other side of things that are like you can't get sober if you're not in group. You can't get sober if you can't show up to where you need to be to learn. So there's kind of this whole other side of treatment, and I really look forward to hearing about that from you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, it becomes very difficult, right? Because, you know, residents, they come into this program, they're confused, they're hurt. um, They make bad choices and and they're suffering and uh so we have what's called the conduct department and what we do is we get with residents uh you know when they're making bad decisions or 
maybe they don't understand something. And so the conduct office gets with them and kind of, you know, gets to know them, you know, they have to be, they have to get through the, you know, the tough parts of conversations. Right. Um, and a lot of times when people are struggling, uh, sometimes you'll just get the surface level problems, yeah. right. And you got to dig deep and, and, uh, somebody who talks back to their counselor or who's struggling and block, um, you know, it's just not an A and B conversation or it's not black and white. There's right. a lot of gray area. And, and as a conduct team, our job is to, to get into that gray area, right. And to kind of figure out what the real problems are. And uh, you know, and a lot of times it leads to exhaustion. People are just tired, right. And they're frustrated and they're in pain and um, exhaustion is usually comes out in, in, in uh, anger and yeah. suffering. And you, you got to weave through that to, to get to the person and to kind of help push them through that exhaustion. Cause on the other side of exhaustion is peace. Right. So I love that. And I know yeah. that's a big differentiator with us is that we take the time to work through what's underlying the bad behavior as opposed yeah. to just saying, hey, you're defiant. We don't have time for you. Go figure it out. Come back when you're ready. Because a lot of times it is as simple as a conversation with you where it's like, I got this really bad phone call today and I don't want to talk about it in group or in front of my counselor. And they yeah. just need to communicate safely and in a safe environment. And then it's like a 360 degree, you know, turnaround, like just like that. Definitely. And, and you need to be invested, right? Sometimes you're not going to get the right answer in one conversation. Yeah. Sometimes it takes two or three conversations and you have to be willing to kind of have those conversations. Right. And, and a lot of the times everyone has opinion of what should happen. And, um, you know, you just have to get to know the person and, and, and get to a point where you can truly help that person. Which I would imagine for that person is getting to a point where they can trust you because, you know, if they're sitting on it and they're not talking about it, there's a reason. And obviously yeah. being out in that world, we're not super trusting. It's not it's not the most conducive environment for good friendships and relationships and that sort of thing. So I'm sure it takes a while even just to build that trust for them to be able to confide in you to get the help they need. Yeah, for sure. You have to build a relationship. I mean, uh, the funny thing is most people are, I'm, I would probably be the most hated guy in treatment in the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. And most people, they don't want to deal with me because right. I come from a place of authority or uh, they think they're going to get in trouble. But by the time they leave, we, we practically are best friends. Yeah. Right? They, they understand, uh, that have created this deep connection where they realize that all I'm trying to do is help. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I think it takes time to see that. Cause at first you, you are the guy that's saying, Hey, you're in trouble. And not, you're not really saying that you're saying, Hey, I'm trying to help you change, yeah. but they don't really want the help. So then you're just the dude pointing out what's wrong with them. And it just becomes another person I saying, Hey, you're, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. And as we mentioned kind of earlier, sometimes there is light consequences, you know, for breaking the rules, not showing up for yourself. You know, I guess a couple examples would be like bringing in drugs or 
running away at night or, you know, stealing <laughs> somebody else's things. Like little things like that happen all the time in treatment. And, you know, those are kind of a lot of the situations we're all talking about. Yeah. But like you said, I think it, it's 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 pretty awesome to see that at the end of a program, you're super close with the guy that was trying to help you get on the right track. And it just takes time yeah. to see that, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, treatment is full of bad decisions, right? And, and treatment is, and, and people are full of imperfections, right? None of us are perfect. And, and trying to to accept people's imperfections and, and uh, letting them know that it's okay, right? And, and, and letting them know that, that we're not perfect, right? We have problems. And, and just kind of uh, learning to network and build a relationship where they feel like we're in this together, right? Like we're in this together. We're going to help you win. We're just a tool in your toolbox. Uh, you know, just trust the process. Yeah. Well, and I think the process is important because a lot of people that I've spoken with are like, well, you know, you make them make their beds, you make them do these things. If they don't, they get in trouble. And it's like, well, this is life when they leave here, uh, unless they're in a, a very affluent state, most people don't have somebody coming in and making their bed and making their food and making sure they get to where they need to get to on time. Like they have to be accountable for themselves. And when you're pretty deep and you're using an addiction, all those things have fallen out. You literally have to like relearn them. And this is part of that process because they're not perfect. It takes a while to like learn how to do these things or relearn how to do them. For sure. We want them to be self-sufficient by the time they leave here. Right. Because when you're self-sufficient and you can handle life, right. And, and, and things aren't falling apart. Life becomes more happy. Right. Yeah. It becomes more manageable, becomes more livable. And, uh, you know, when that's happening, you bring value to, to the lives of the people around you. Right. If, if I'm not making good decisions and, and, and I'm breaking rules, nobody wants to be around Dylan. Mm. Right. But if I'm if I am keeping it together, I'm making the right decisions. I'm bringing value to my neighbors and my community and my relationships and my family. Uh, you know, people want to be around that. Yeah, dude, right? that's super true. And I think one of the things I was I was thinking of with Angie's example of like, you know, make like hating that you got to make the bed or clean the room or any of that stuff. It's what I've noticed is when we have older clients that are already used to doing those things or like used to like being an adult or living, they have no problem with that. Right. They're like, oh, cool, this feels normal, right on. And they're like appreciative of like the cleanly space and the bed being made and the chores getting done. Like to them, sometimes that feels normal again because they missed sure. out on that from being drunk or high or whatever it may be. So it's funny to see in my head, there's like the young kid who hasn't learned any of that stuff and needs to, or there's the older adult who's like, oh man, this structure feels good again. So it's kind of funny to see both sides of that spectrum. Yeah, definitely. We, we uh, definitely experienced that in many different shapes and forms, yeah. right? We, we got older residents, we got 18 year old kids and their imperfections are different, right? And, and you can't approach the 18 year old kids imperfections the same way you approach it, you know, an older resident, right? right, you, right. you have to approach things differently. And, and they, sometimes they'll have, 
the same solution to a problem. And sometimes the solution is something different for the different age groups, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where you definitely have no no box, no size fits all. Like you can't, it's impossible based on yeah. age and, and demographics and, and all that kind of stuff. There's just like no one way to fit everybody in the same way. And I think that's where yeah. your years of experience really is a tremendous benefit. You know, I think of Tom Brady, you know, he's just done it so long. He's pretty much seen every defense you could possibly see. He knows yeah. every play that's been played. And you just bring that experience where you can cut through a lot of the other stuff that somebody new on the scene would never even know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, being calm, right? A lot of times when you're pushing people through exhaustion, uh, there's a lot of energy and people get crazy, right? And, and <laughs> when I'm sitting in an office where somebody is going crazy, uh, I have the ability to kind of stay calm. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is I usually have somebody else with me and they're unraveling, right? They're, they're just <laughs> yeah. not used to this scenario. And for me, it's just um, staying calm. And sometimes you just have to let things play out, right? Because the answer is at the end of whatever plays out, right? I mean, people talk good stories, right? They, they tell you what you want to hear, uh, they can tell some pretty dramatic stories to make you change your mind. Uh, but as long as you stay grounded and you stay focused and you stay calm, uh, the outcome is usually the right solution, right? Because somebody needs to keep calm in that chaotic moment. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that Dylan is the Tom Brady of behavioral change. That's and that's kind of a cool title, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's excessive, but I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it. Tom a little Brady dramatic, but legit. we'll take it, dude. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's the master. You're 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 there, man. You you kill it. And it's I funny because it. it's that's exactly the demeanor that I would describe of you. You obviously can hold your own. You're fit. You work out. Uh, you're definitely not one to be pushed around, but at the same time, you put forth such a calmness that, you know, as addicts and alcoholics, we get very turned off by authority or anybody resembling authority, like, or you rules. know, or rules Just or rules. any of that, anything we don't want to hear or do, you yeah. cannot be that person or you're never going to get somewhere with them. So it says a lot for you to have that demeanor and to sort of, uh, disarm them on those feelings uh, and actually get progress because that's important. Yeah. You can't resemble a cop. They don't like a cop. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, some people don't know what to do with it, right? You're just so calm and, and they're not used to it, right? They're used to mom or dad uh, being upset and yelling at them or, or maybe, maybe uh, somebody in the community, right? And, and being calm uh, they start to reciprocate that, right? They start to calm down and they don't feel so nervous anymore. And they realize that, that it's really not that bad, right? We're, we're just talking here. We're just trying to sort something out. We're just trying to figure out a problem and uh, making them feel safe uh, makes it easier for them to get through it. Yeah. And I would imagine too, I mean, I, I know this to be true, but just kind of for the audience too, it's like, Dylan, you have a background in a addiction and, and B kind of being a rule breaker, being a troublemaker, you know? So I know yeah. that your own past is 
a good segue into into helping others be like, hey, look, like I've tried this too. You know, it doesn't work. It, it never has worked. In the last 15 years of clients that have come into my office, it hasn't worked either. So maybe that was kind of the stuff Angie was talking about, getting out of the way. It's like, hey, yeah. what's up? I'm Dylan. Used to be a drug addict. Now yeah. I'm not. I've seen people like you for the last 15 years. It doesn't work. So what's going on, man? <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely not a saint, right? I haven't <laughs> always been this way. I, uh, That's I, why we all get along so well. <laughs> we know. all have similar backgrounds. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and, you know, this is a good point for me to bring this up. You know, nine years ago, I came into treatment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that Angie and Dan have provided us a place that, you know, people who are suffering can come to. Right. And nine years ago, I made the decision to come to treatment. And this place just was so welcoming and touched my heart that I've been here since 2009. Yeah. Right. And, and I really believe in what we do here. And, uh, you know, it's turned my life around and, uh, you know, it's given me an opportunity to kind of give back and bring value to people's lives. Um, so thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we're just stoked to have you and still have you. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I guess a good question too, Dylan is like, what is, what is the role that you play at Elevate done for your own recovery? Like what, what are some of the big takeaways from like your specific role there? Like how is that related into your own recovery? Does it keep you accountable being the guy that's got to keep other people accountable? Like how does that work for you? Yeah, it plays a big part, right? Uh, because, you know, I get to sit on the other side of the table, right? right. And I, I get to to watch people make bad decisions, you know, like similar to the decisions I've made in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, and watching people make these bad decisions ha has made me stronger, yeah. right? And, and has allowed me to kind of, you know, make, make better decisions. And, and, and as I go through these conversations on a daily, it reminds me of why I made the changes that I made. Um, and it's only strengthened uh, my, my drive to want to be a better person, right? When, when I leave this world, I want to make sure that I, that I brought value. You know? Well, I think definitely done that, Dylan. Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. I think now would be a great time to share just a small story uh, of my own experience. And I think I'll have to leave out some of the details. However, uh, you know, I can remember being a client in the Tahoe facility and being very much the person that you call him out. He's like, yeah, run the tapes. Like, look at the footage. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I wouldn't say like the I wouldn't say like the prison mentality, but definitely I had like the criminal, like under the radar mentality, not trying to, trying to play the system essentially is kind of what we were sure. all talking about, you know, and I guess to go even further than that, it's like prior to coming into treatment, I was driving around with heroin and crack and pot and Xanax and doing any drug that I ever felt like at any speed limit, regardless of every single rule. So that's the type of person that came into treatment. Then I sure. come to a facility where there's rules 
I didn't I didn't like the rules, you know, but I can honestly say through my experience up at uh Tahoe, Dylan was the only person that could get through to me that rules meant something. You know, and like who am I to think they didn't apply to me? Like why am I so special in a sense? I don't think he was ever that blunt like, "Hey, why are you so special, kid?" You know, like <laughs> rules apply to all of us, but I can honestly say that a lot of accountability in my life personally shifted because of you, Dylan, from just being that example of like, dude, this is how it works. You know, as someone yeah. that's sober and have done that stuff, this is how it works. And so I guess thank you for that, Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> it's come a long welcome. way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I still remember you as a resident. <laughs> You know, I, you were you were a tough cookie to crack. <laughs> you know, I think uh, you know a lot of people come in with this street mentality, yeah, right. And uh, when you come in with this street mentality, you can't be soft on the street, mm -hmm. right? You have to be strong. And and I think uh, Dallas was that way, right? He came in, and uh, you know he had to be strong, he had to be tough. And he had an image, or I think we all have an image that we yeah. try to protect. And sometimes we get lost in that, you know, and, and Dallas came in and, and uh, you know, we had a lot of great conversations and, and I think yeah. it took me, I think it took multiple conversations. Yeah, I'd say so. Right. And <laughs> definitely wasn't the first one. <laughs> yeah, he was, a, he was definitely a multi-convo guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and basically what I do is just, you know, I'm just holding a mirror in front of people. Right. Yeah. Like we're professionals at ignoring the bad decisions or the problems. Right. We become we become perfectionists at doing that. I mean, you have to do that to live the way that we do when we're when we're addicted to something. True. So so what I did was just, you know, pulled a mirror out and I put that in front of people and and, and hope that they can be. Uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but eventually they get disgusted by their behavior. Right. They get tired. Uh, and they know that what they're doing is, is bad. Well, I think that it just hits on again, another thing that's, that's different. And so some people can go through their whole program and, and have a perfect program and never even see you because they ran a perfect program. They were never late. They're always on time. But a lot of times I feel like people who go down the path of pushing the boundaries and getting in trouble almost get more out of it because that's kind of like what they're going to go do in life, you know, odds are. And they get to push those boundaries while they're in a safe environment. They get to break the rules, but we get to correct them and they get to learn from that in a safe environment. Whereas, you know, if they don't do that while they're in treatment and they go out into the world and break those rules, they can end up in prison. They can end up killing somebody, overdosing, hurting somebody. So it's kind of cool for us to be able to allow them to push those boundaries a bit and and sort of learn what's right and what's wrong and have those realizations yeah for sure and i think this goes back to something i said early on is sometimes you got to let things play out yeah right even if you know that it's going to turn out bad you know and sometimes you can try to tell a resident that and you can repeat it and you can repeat it and you can repeat it but they're just not ready yeah. And sometimes you just have to let it play out. And then once it's played out, you get back with them and say, tell you, right? Yeah, that's true. And we say that all the time. And I, I think I learned that young into a career of a counselor 
is you can't help people that don't want help. You know, like yeah. you can, you can try, but until that person is ready or things play out, right? It's like you can't make someone hear something when they're not listening. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes it's about planting the right seeds. Yeah. Right. Uh, you, you know, sometimes planting the right seed sparks motivation mm-hmm. or, or something that helps them kind of, uh, where that light bulb kind of turns on, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of you have, I hope you still have it hanging in your office, but you have a sign in your office. And it kind of just checks people right away. Is that, do you still have it? Yeah, for sure. So what it says is we all share the same 24 hours, right? And it says, stop making excuses. So it's something that I just point to periodically uh, because sometimes uh, just looking at that is better than me telling them, right? Because they get that their own realization and it's not just me being the bad guy, right? Yeah. Well, and it's it's kind of smacks them down because like what, you know, when people come into treatment, you know, addicts, alcoholics, very selfish. The world revolves around me. I'm going to do this. You're wasting my time. And it's like, we're sharing the same time. So if I'm wasting yeah. your time, you're wasting my time as well. And I kind of like it because it just that saying alone sort of checks people uh, kind of like how you were t- saying with Dallas, where you're not better or worse than anyone. We're all here together. So let's make this work together. And I love that. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes that that uh, that thing that I have on the wall is for me too, right? Yeah. When, I, when I'm like trying to get out of CrossFit, right? Or when I'm trying to get out of something. It's getting late. <laughs> it, it, it's a good reminder, right? I take a look at it and there's no excuses. I got to man up. Ah, I love that. Yeah, same. Yeah, I definitely, I'm trying to think. I had this big lion poster in my office. And now I can't remember what the quote was. But it was, oh man, it was it was so good. I, I lost it. I don't have it anymore. But it was like basically a huge lion just like eating something. And it was like, few are willing to hunt or something like, or everyone wants to be fed or everyone wants yeah. food, food, but like few are willing to hunt type of thing yeah. and there were some clients that came in and they're like dude that's like too aggressive <laughs> <laughs> like some like you know some chicks would come in and i just see them like kind of tense up so i ended up taking it down but uh yeah. it was it was cool for a minute <laughs> yeah for sure i mean you got to be hungry right this this doesn't work if you're not hungry right but i would say you know we're fighting a battle where people are losing you know, people yeah. are losing their lives. And if you're not hungry and you're not willing to put in the work, um, a lot of people aren't successful. That's true. And, and uh, yeah, and I guess that's a great point too, because we think about treatment and it's like the amount, at least kind of in all of our experiences, like we had to do a lot of work to just get to the point that we got to like, it took a lot of work and then it takes a lot of work to stay where we are or gradually get better. And as someone that works at elevate all three of us, you get to see patterns, you know, and you can see the amount of work someone's putting in to change or not change. Yeah. And so it's kind of a cool thing to, to discuss or be present for. And when 
we can pull someone aside and say like, hey, you know, this is going to take a lot of work. This is going to be really hard. But guess what? You can also do it. And I mean, I think about the last seven years of seeing millions of degrees of, of work put in, you know, from a lot to a little, you know, and, and sometimes we're wrong. And the person that seems to not be putting in that much work ends up staying sober their whole life. And we're like, oh, you know, maybe I don't know anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. but generally it's 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 funny to see the amount of effort someone puts in. And I wish they wanted it as much as we did for them. But like you said, that's not always the case. Yeah, for sure. That, that is a, you know, a constant struggle we see here at treatment, mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely a pitfall. It's like, man, dude, I just wish everyone wanted it as bad as we wanted it for them. And, you know, it's kind of out of our control sometimes. But what I do think happens, and, and I think we see this, is people who do come to us and are not ready and then they leave, a lot of times they'll go fall on their face and we're the first people they call. They're like, okay, now I'm ready to be there for me. Before I was there because my mom wanted me there, the court wanted me there, you know, there, whatever reasons people come to treatment. But a lot of times it's that second time through that they're really there for themselves and you see them get so much more out of it. Now they are willing to meet us halfway and, and get the most out of it that they can. Yeah, for sure. You see a lot of that. And, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of that in their body language, right? Uh, when they came in the first time, they're a little bit more resistant and closed off. Everything is super surface level. And uh, sometimes when they come back after making that second bad decision, they come back and they're willing to kind of dig a little bit deeper, right? Their eyes are more brighter. They're, they're not closed off. They, they take the time to continue the conversation instead of keeping it surface, surface level and running away. Yeah. yeah. I remember we used to have a thing. Well, we hated, you know, we have gradients of discipline and absolutely hate uh, having to suspend somebody because what if they go out there and do this, that happens, this happens. But, you know, with us, that's not the first place we go. It's typically like the third or fourth place we end up. But even that uh, is sometimes as far as they need to be pushed for them to like get it. And when they come back, they're ready to be there. So I think levels of gradients that are equitable to the, the crime or more or less is, is important as well. It's key, right? If, if you're if you're making a bad decision for whatever the crime is or the rule that it's broken, uh, residents won't trust you, right? And, and and I think you made a good point about when we suspend somebody, it's it is the last option, right? And sometimes uh, we have to do this to protect the environment, right? Yeah, because we have. Else. 20, you know, some residents, you know, uh, at any given time, the numbers are different, but, uh, you know, I can't be bogged down with one resident while the other 20 suffer. Right. So sometimes that suspension is a good break and it's a good reality check and it's definitely what's needed. So choosing the right amount of discipline is very important. And it actually gives the resident the ability to trust you and know that you made the right decision. And that's why it's so important to investigate and not basically just take one set of facts. I need to really investigate things to kind of make sure that I have all the facts. And that means 
uh, you know, talking to everybody involved, not just going off of, you know, what one of my staff members say, I have to truly investigate in order for, for things to have the right outcome. Mm -hmm. It's super true. Yeah. And I guess as far as like, I mean, I'm trying to put myself as like an audience member, like maybe we could talk about like some examples, like just some broad examples of maybe like why we would suspend someone or just maybe just even a handful of like topics that you're dealing with month to month. Like what are the main, you know, kind of situations that come up for Dylan just to kind of paint the scene for, for maybe an audience member or someone in the, someone listening. Cause we all know, cause we've all been doing this for the last 10 years, but if I wasn't in treatment, I mean, I would think like, oh man, what are these guys doing over there at Elevate? You know, like, are they stabbing people, you know, <laughs> prison, <laughs> locking them up at night, throwing away the key. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of it's behavioral, right? Uh, if you're talking about like people getting suspended, uh, it's just like, it's just like repetitive violations of the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, when you stop using, uh, it can be kind of an alone place to be in, right? Because you're so used to using and being around people and, and just having fun. So when you stop using, you build these deep connections with, with somebody and, and relationships form. Yeah, right? easily. Yeah, they, they were, yeah, easily form relationships because they're so lonely. Yeah. And then people fall in love. Right. And they've known each other for seven days, 14 days. <laughs> That's right? love, baby. <laughs> and, we call uh, that rehab goggles. <laughs> rehab romance. <laughs> and it's it's a tough thing to battle. Right. Oh, because, yeah. uh, you know, if I know anything about an addict. They don't do things 50 percent. They do things 100 percent or 150 <laughs> percent. So when they form a relationship, trying to prevent them from continuing that relationship is always a struggle mm -hmm. and it's super hard. And if I can't get them to stop, because what happens is they focus so much on this relationship, they're not even working their program or doing anything to help themselves. And they're focusing all their time and energy on this relationship. And if I can't get them to stop, we transfer them or it eventually leads to a point where I have to kick one of them out, mm -hmm. right? In order to protect one of them or the other or the whole group in order for them to kind of uh, get back to why they're here. Yeah. Right. Because nobody wants to come to a place for 30 days and they spend 25 of those days uh, trying to be Casanova, right? Like mm -hmm. they, they lose all that valuable treatment time thinking about, you know, this girl or this boy and they don't, they don't really get the help that they need. So, well, they're just switching addictions at that point. You know, you took away the drugs, the alcohol, now they want the, the sex. And so, yeah, you're right. They're not doing the work to be self-sufficient on their own. They're just transferring their their addiction. Sure. Sometimes they do fall in love, but it's just not the place for it. Like hey, everybody's here to get ready. We don't want to be around a couple that uh, people that are over there making out while we're trying to like get our lives in order. It's true. Yeah, I mean, your life is already so unmanageable. 
you know, and then you're taking another life into your hands and you're trying to manage their lives. And you got two people who live chaotic lives and are struggling trying to figure it out together. <laughs> and it only makes it twice as hard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Something tells me you've said that a lot in your office, Dylan. <laughs> That example right there. I've called people Casanova many yeah. times. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've been I've heard that once or twice in my life. You you probably heard it from Dylan personally. I, I feel like I've made it to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that is the number one reason uh, that we do end up suspending people because by the time they hit you, you know, smuggling drugs in that sort of thing, it's not, rare. That's rare. it's, it's more rare because of, you know, they're transferring from Watsonville and stuff like that. So I would assume that's the more common uh, thing that happens there. Yeah. And I would say the other common thing is just anger outbursts. You know, some people really struggle with anger and, um, you know, they lash out at other residents or maybe staff members. And uh, some people are just not equipped to deal with that. Yeah. Right. But we have a lot of professionals here who are capable of, you know, they have de-escalation techniques and helping them uh, manage their emotions. And, you know, that, that also happens too, but I wouldn't say that's as common as uh, the relationship one. Yeah. Well, I think you hit it on the head when you said, um, and this is like an angle not a lot of people see, is for the greatest good of the group, we have to take somebody out. And that's because if the group sees somebody having these outbursts, treating staff bad, treating them bad, and no uh, disciplinary actions working, then they want to leave. Then they kind of band together and they're like, why am I here? I don't want to be here. And so for those reasons, it is important for us to remove that one person who, uh, because the rest of the clients will revolt if they think they're getting away with stuff that they're not, or they're being permitted and allowed to do things that they're not, or we're being reasonable with them, which I know, you know, it can be hard because sometimes we'll have great relationships with their parents and their parents want it so bad. And we want it for the parents and we want it for them. And they're just not meeting us halfway. So it makes it very tricky to to play all the pieces and and make it the greatest good for everybody. Yeah, for sure. And that's why we we use a gradient system, right? We you know, suspension is never the first answer and and we usually try a lot of in-house techniques to kind of address these things. And it usually starts off with a conversation, right? Trying to trying to talk to people, trying to get through that surface level stuff. And then, uh, you know, go, giving them a plan uh, of ways to kind of address it and then uh, allowing them to go back to block to see if they can practice it and they can put it into play. And uh, sometimes that's all that's needed, but sometimes uh, it's not enough, right? And, and the same scenario plays out and uh, that could lead to, you know, higher consequences, right? More conversations, more time spent with conduct. Uh, we also have them do extra chores. Um, and we have a specialized check sheet that uh, focuses on responsibility, making better decisions, and uh, you know the importance of it. Will you explain to our audience why we have them do extra chores? Like why that is a means of correction for us? 
Yeah, for sure. The chores are, are a key piece uh, because, you know, chores are part of daily life, right? And, and the, odd thing, the odd thing about it is nobody likes to do chores, right? But it's, some, it's, it's one of the most mindfulness moments that you could have, right? Like, let's say, for instance, uh, the gym is dirty and it's in disarray. And when I assign somebody a chore and they go down there and they first see it, you know, the first reaction is this sucks, right? Mm -hmm. But as they work through it, they start to think about why they're there, right? And and they go through this like self-realization process and they realize, uh, you know, it starts off, I don't deserve this to I understand it. And then they start to see the chore and the gym starts to look better. They start to feel happier. They're like, wow, like I'm actually putting in some effort, right. To, to achieve the end goal of the gym being clean. And that's the same thing about, uh, you know, chores and, 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 uh, consequences, right. You start off hating things and then it leads to this, uh, realization where the other end of it is very peaceful and and you start to realize that uh, you know it was a bad decision and, and in life you got to earn things and you got to put in the work nothing is given and when things are given uh, people don't appreciate it right so assigning them some chores gives them some ability to kind of earn their way back in the block, right? Like we can't, uh, we are not believers of enabling bad behavior. Yeah. Our job is to challenge it and, and, and get people to challenge their own bad behavior, right? Like what we're trying to do is encourage self-discipline. Um, by the time you leave here, you should feel more comfortable in telling yourself no, right? Because, as addicts, we tell ourselves yes all the time. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you could use one more time, right? Yes, you can go out and have just one beer, right? But they have to be able to say no, mm-hmm. right? No, I can't have one more beer because it's going to lead to a second beer, <laughs> right? Or no, I can't go out all night and show up to my work at 6 a.m. It's just impossible, Right. So the goal of chores and, and these conduct assignments is to help them accept that unless they have some self-discipline, um, you're going to continue to struggle with society putting self-discipline or discipline in. Right. Like when you leave here, you don't have a Dylan to 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 help you get through those moments. You have to have enough confidence and strength uh, to practice self-discipline and tell yourself no. Right. Make the right decisions because, you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, if they go out afterwards and start pushing those boundaries, the uh, results could be a whole lot worse than doing a few extra chores. And that's what we're trying to prevent. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah. uh, that's all good stuff right there. And I think... You know, I think 
Yeah, I don't know. I think as like a lot, I'm having a lot of thoughts coming up on all of this. I, it's probably because I have so much experience with all of it. And, and I could say this part of the program when I was in treatment at Elevate was probably the most helpful part of me getting sober. And I think that's why it's such a like integral piece because I think a lot of us struggle with discipline and not being able to address it or elevate having a way to address it in a way that's helpful and works I think is, I don't want to say like groundbreaking because it's, I don't know if it is, but it's so much more important than I think maybe someone on the outside would, would not understand. It's so important, you know? Um, and we all three have that experience, but for the audience, it's like a lot of the people that come into treatment, they don't care. Like rules don't apply to them. And so when you can realize that they do, and there's, like you said, Dylan, consequences for your actions, and they're not these crazy consequences, it's chores and counseling with Dylan and like a packet of how to be more responsible, how to make better decisions. Like it's all so cut out and helpful, but the clientele comes from a place that is it. They're so far away from it that they can't see this being helpful. So to paint the picture for the audience, it's like, this is where our clients are at. That understanding that a chore isn't, uh, you're not getting arrested, you know? It, they're two different things. Yeah. So it's almost like discipline on training wheels, you know? And, and where else do you get to learn that? You know, where else in life do you get a break to have someone kind of hold your hand through being a better person? And making mistakes and, and yeah. being learning through minor consequence, not harsh consequence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think humans are creatures of habit, right? Oh yeah. If we can teach people to apply self-discipline to their life, you're hoping to create that habit, right? Where they can, because life becomes more manageable at that point. Right. And it becomes more livable, right? Things are more peaceful. And, uh, you know, you don't have to hide anymore. Right. So yeah, there's no stress, you know, from no stress being irresponsible or not having the discipline. Things don't add up. You can stay on top of things and you can get things done. And I also think one of the biggest takeaways too, is like the long term gratification or like the delay of short term gratification. Like, you know, right now it's going to suck. So you got to do more chores, but by the end of this week, you'll have processed your mistakes and have changed and improved upon them and won't ever have to do it again. And in a month, you'll be so much happier. <laughs> right. Because then you're not constantly trying to fix your mistakes. You're just suddenly not making mistakes. And then there's where the calm comes. And you're not always having to make up for bad things you've done. Now you're just enjoying being a good person. And with that, uh, it reminds me of the sign we have hanging up in the den in the gym, which is discipline equals freedom, which is Jocko's, you know, one of his big sayings, which is once you have that that discipline in in your life consistently, there's so much freedom because you're not trying to get ahead of things or figure out things or make up for things. There's just that freedom and calmness because you're doing all the right things all the time. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, 
you know, another saying that I use with my residents is I tell them they got to play the long game, mm-hmm. right? Like short game gives you short game uh, results, right? If I'm staying disciplined and I'm playing the long game and I'm putting in the effort, uh, you reap the rewards of somebody who's playing the long game, right? So I think that that basically goes along with your point, right? Like you just got to put in the effort and be patient and, uh, you know, play the long game. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's the truth. And I think the sad part is, is like a lot of, you know, clients at first don't, they don't see themselves changing. Yeah. They're unwilling to put in the work or they just don't believe it. You know, it's kind of like once you know that you can change, you'll start working a lot more towards changing. But that initial period of like a wanting to change or B just believing it takes a long time. That could take, you know, some clients show up willing and able and they're dude, I'm ready to change. Tell me how high to jump Dylan and I'll do it. And those guys flourish for the most part. But there's a lot of people that come in and they have no idea they even need to change. Yeah. Those are usually the people that are talking to Dylan, you know, <laughs> or they're in denial ones. about needing to change. That's usually what it is, but yeah. it's crazy, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, life is complicated. <laughs> right? There, yeah, there so are people. <laughs> there are there is no easy answer to that, right? And that's no. that's why I said uh you know, we have to invest in people, right? We have to push through exhaustion points. We have to get to know people and and we have to show empathy, right? Yeah. It's the only way that you get to real people. So when you say exhaustion, do you mean like just physically tired, mentally tired, overwhelmed? What what do you mean by push through the exhaustion? I say all of the above. Okay. Right. So let's say, for instance, I, you know, we're running a 30 day program and somebody is at 20 days and they think they're done. Right. And they, they think they've got it all together and it's time to leave. They're exhausted. They don't want to do any more book work. They don't think they need any more one-on-one counseling, right? Um, And they hit this exhaustion point, right? And they're ready to leave. But like life, right, outside of here, you hit those exhaustion points all the time. Maybe I don't like my job or or maybe I'm, I'm tired of my mom or my dad complaining about me, right? Like I hit that exhaustion point. And usually when you hit that exhaustion point, you fire back right? You get upset, you quit, or, uh, you know, you get angry and push people back, right? So pushing them past that exhaustion point, if I'm going back to the, the, you know, the resident who wants to leave at 20 days, I am telling them like, hey, dude, you've hit an exhaustion point, right? You're tired, you're ready to move on, but you're going to hit these things all the time in life, Right. So you're going to have to decide whether you give up or do you push past this exhaustion point and then spend the next 10 days making sure you never got to come back to treatment again. Mm -hmm. Right. So pushing them through that exhaustion point is what I mean, because people hit that all the time. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I mean, I, I did 75 hard and, and there was a few points in there where, I was at that point 
I was ready sure. to give up. I was physically, yeah. mentally, spiritually exhausted. I did not want to push through. And I literally had to drag myself through it. And you're right, the rewards for having completed it were a thousand times better than I would have felt if I had given right. in to that exhaustion. Because at that moment in time, I just didn't think I could do more. Yeah, that's a great example, right? And I, I don't think I could do it, right? You could, of course you could you do it. And I, I'm challenging I you to it do and it. And I was like, that's not for me. <laughs> hey, you already have the mental toughness. Yeah, dude. you can totally good. do yeah, it. You're you can totally do it. <laughs> I hit the exhaustion point just when I saw what it was. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't push past it. I, I, I turned the TV on. I, was like, I don't want all that. I literally felt like... Uh, in war, like crawling across the finish line at the end, like the army crawl. It was so tiring. But man, within a week, I was back to normal. I felt great. And that accomplishment, you know, nobody could ever take that away from me. And That's I love amazing. your analogy about treatment being similar. It's like just put in that extra time. Just get that little extra more out of it so you never have to do this again. Yeah, for sure. That, so that question for you, Angie. Out of the 75 days... How many exhaustion points were there? There, Well, because it took me three times to do it, I was technically on it for about 180 days. Well, let's take these last 75. So the How last many, 75, yeah. there was probably two points that mm -hmm. I was just physically, you know, it was like I was up at midnight outside on, on the exercise bike because I had to get that one last outdoor workout mm -hmm. in. Um, but there was probably two points that I was literally ready to quit. Yeah. And in fact, the one time that I did quit prior to the finishing, it was a conscious choice. And it was at that point where I was so just uh, also my dog died. But I was like at day 65. I was so close. I, I, I could have pushed on and I just made the decision that, no, I can't push on and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I've seen it from all sides. Yeah. But. No, that's super true. And I guess the, the, the my question was. In 75 days, there was only two points where you were exhausted, you know? So it's like the other 73 days, you had it under control. Yep. And you were cool. Cool. You know? So it's like if you can just get, like Dylan's saying, a little bit of discipline to just get through those sticky points that don't always come up very often. Yep. It's very rare that we're willing to throw in the towel. For the most part, in the 30 days of treatment, 28 of them were awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, and especially once you bad see, days, and especially you know? once you see that finish line, like it's kind of like a week when you're on that hump day, like that middle part, you're like, ah, but once you see that finish line, you can sprint it out. That's where you start to get the momentum. And Dylan, I'm sure that's what you're talking about with people. They're like 10 days. They're like right there, but it seems like forever. Um, but once they can get over that hump, then, then you can sprint to the finish line. Yeah, I mean, they got to experience it, right? And I'm sure it relates to the 75 hard, like you were able to experience uh, the outcome of all your hard work, right? And people can't, you can't, you can't uh, get that through words, right? You got to put the effort in and, and you got to, you got to struggle and you got to go through the pain and, and, and everything that comes with it. So that's a great example of pushing yourself through the exhaustion. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also what makes our program different is because uh, we're not saying, okay, you can take the easy way out, just take the pill, just go to outpatient, just do this bare minimum. 
Um, we actually physically push people through long periods of time and and that makes the difference. You know, we're building that mental toughness. We're building that strength for them to be able to handle whatever the world hits for them without the quick fix or the easy out. It's like actually learning how to go through that process. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very fine balance of coddling and not coddling. Like at times we do coddle clients because that's what they need. Yeah. Yeah. And there's times that we don't, you know, it's like, I can think of plenty of times the clients come up to me and they're, they're exhausted. And it's like, dude, take the night off. You've been yeah. busting your ass. Take the night off. Yeah. And we give them the pass cause they earned it, you know, and that does the next day they come in glowing and they're good. And there's other times it's like, dude, you don't get the night off, bro. You, you know? don't, you didn't earn it. You got three minutes to get to class, dude. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a healthy balance, right? Like, and I think for 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 a lot of us who have been there for a long time, uh, you know, we see it, right? And, and you know, with some green staff, they're they're just haven't experienced it yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's it's super key. It's it's very important to have some balance, and and sometimes you have to have empathy for people, yeah. right? And and understand that everybody has a story. And everybody has pain and uh, making sure that you don't ignore that. Dude, I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking about that earlier where it's like to some degree, everyone's just doing what they think is right. You know, whether we agree with it or not, there's something that makes them think that this is okay. Whether that's the story or, you know, a limiting belief, a core false belief, habit, bad patterns, whatever it is to them, it makes sense. And that's kind of like where we come in and it's our job to help them see that there's another way to do things and that it's okay that they think that, but let's work on this. And that's kind of the empathy piece you were talking about, Dylan. It's like, you know, maybe they're not a bad person for thinking this way or for the things that they did because at the time it made the most, most sense to them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think that's a key too is, for addicts and alcoholics, what makes sense to them is usually what's going to benefit them. And we literally have or to hurt the least. <laughs> yeah. And we have to like teach them. It's like, okay, you're right. That might help you, but look what it's doing to everything around you. And sometimes it takes us shining the magnifying glass on their actions and how they're actually affecting everything and everyone around them, as opposed to just them. Because when you're, when you're in, you know, your alcoholism or your addiction, you're just worried about yourself and self-survival. And we yeah. actually have to teach them how to like their actions affect more than just themselves. I know I came in that way. Like what? I'm just hurting myself. Why do you care? Like, this is me. This is my body. This is my choice. And it's like, well, okay, sure. But let's look at how else it's affecting everything around you. And I think that's a big part of what you do too, is to just sort of let them realize that their actions don't just hurt themselves. Yeah, it's a key key piece of treatment, right? Uh, I think people, they, you know, no, nobody wants to be hurtful. Or maybe there are a couple of people out there that want to be hurtful. But most of society, they, they want to bring value to the world, right? And, and they want to, you know, nobody grows up wanting to be a loser, right? Yeah. So I think it's about channel, channeling uh, their energy, Right. And giving them opportunities to figure out what they really want to win at. Right. Because, you know, um, 
their decisions before they got here, they probably thought they were winning. Yeah. Right. Uh, but life just got so out of control that it just wasn't manageable and they were actually losing. Right. So they come to a place like this and we have to plant the seeds to, to help them achieve uh, real life and how they can win at that. Yeah. Right. So no, that's well said. It's kind of like they're playing the wrong game. You know, right. Just playing the wrong game, dude. Short game. Short yeah, game. Playing the short game. Right? Wow, that came full circle, Dylan. Damn. Yeah, you're playing the short game. Oh man, I love that, you know. But in the short game too, which I've seen a lot, is like there's so many skills or qualities in the short game that they have. Like Angie says this all the time. It's like the the hustle of a drug addict, you know, like Dude, talk about pushing past exhaustion, you know, like yeah. how many times you had $1 and you spent 10 day or 10 hours just getting $10 to get one bag of heroin. Like, yeah, but now Dylan's asking you to spend two hours on cleaning the gym. It's like, dude, you walk 14 miles with one shoe to get a bag of dope, you know, like, yeah, you know yeah. about hard work. Let's just channel it a little better, better. Yeah. I mean, dude, addicts are strong people. Yeah, yeah. Right? they're they're the strength that they have is, is, is sometimes unbelievable. Right. And mm -hmm. if they can just channel that into being better human beings, right. And not really live materialistically, right. The world would be a better place. hundred yeah. percent. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, man. Damn. Yeah. This is a good conversation. These I are know. like my, some of my favorite topics, dude. I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Same. And you've been, the awesome one to talk to about it with. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's always, you know, I tell people all the time, it's a blessing to be here, mm -hmm. right? It's a blessing to help people. It's a blessing to, to change people's lives. It's a blessing to repair families, right? Everything that we do here uh, is, is, is a blessing. And I'm just grateful to be part of Elevate. Yeah. I mean, I say it all the time. We're so fortunate. You know, a lot of people, you know, work normal jobs and they have to go find this uh, other part of their life to fulfill this purpose of helping. And we are so fortunate that it 100 percent aligns. We just get to come to work mm -hmm. and we're already in alignment with our purpose, with helping, with changing mankind, with doing all these amazing things like where else can you go where it all lines up and you can make a living at it at the same time? Uh, we're just in a very fortunate place to be able to help as many people as we are. I agree. I agree. I'm not going to say the same thing because you guys just said it twice, but ditto. <laughs> <laughs> we all just are echoing the same thing. I, know, like, I was oh, like, <laughs> but what? What are you? <laughs> I know. I was thinking that. I was like, if I was a, like, we all have like this, you know love helping people like i like to geek out on like stuff like this you know and i'm like i wonder if the audience is like gonna be like stoked on us geeking out on discipline and i'm like yeah they should they should you know and if not yeah. dude, just listen to the next one you know <laughs> i mean life has been great as you know once i started to put some self-discipline in my life like everything started to fall into place and uh you know, the stress went down, the problems kind of disappeared. Uh, I mean, I had, I got new problems, but those problems are more manageable. 
mm-hmm. right? And I'm not, and I'm not running and and burning people or destroying lives. I'm actually doing the opposite. Dude. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Dylan, I know that I'm super grateful for you, and so is Elevate, and a lot of clients, and a lot of families, and this has been uh, this has been a great conversation, dude. And uh, we appreciate what you do up there in Tahoe, even though we don't always see it, you know, down in Watsonville because we're six hours away. You know, <laughs> yeah. we appreciate you, man. Well, I appreciate the both of you too, and hopefully, I didn't bore. Your audience. Oh, are no, you kidding? No, not at all. And, and this is That's gonna, on them. <laughs> yeah, and this is going to be an amazing resource for families who wonder yeah. about this side of things within, you know, the organization. Like, why do we care about discipline? Why is this an important thing? Why would this even be part of our program? So this is going to be, uh, I believe, some very valuable content for anybody who has any interest in what makes Elevate special. And I appreciate awesome. uh, you for being that person for sharing with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.